everyone. Welcome to episode three of the Portland General Baptist Church Youth Podcast. I've got an interesting episode for you today. In the world of Facebook statuses, it's never a dull day. So we'll first take a look at a common argument in the pro-abortion debate, an argument in the anti-gun debate, and then move on to the lesson from Ruth. Intrigued yet? I hope so. But first, I want to read an excerpt from Brother Larry's Midweek Messenger. sends out an email, and in it is the Midweek Messenger. It's a weekly devotional uh, that he sends to everyone in the church, and uh, this one, this week's uh, Midweek Messenger is on renewal, and part of it says, God's process of spiritual renewal starts on the inside, in the heart. At the heart of the problem is a problem of the heart. He said, I read where the word heart is found over 800 times in the Bible, usually not referring to the blood-pumping organ inside our body, but rather the innermost part of mankind that motivates our actions. Allow God to change our hearts. During this time of restricted outings, you have more time at home to spend in meditation toward the Lord. That actually kind of rings back what I said a couple of weeks ago in our first, uh, our live stream service that we did at church. Don't waste your coronavirus. You've got more time than ever at home, hopefully. You're not going to school. There's not much studying to do. Not a whole lot of homework. Unless, of course, you're a parent listening to this and you've got kids. In which case, you're busier now than you've ever been. Because you have to teach your kids. Uh, I hope uh, hope you're thankful for your teachers after this one. But back to brother. Uh, but back to what brother Larry said in the midweek messenger. At the heart of the problem is a problem of the heart, and it reminds me of a passage in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. Jesus tells us that for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. It's almost as if man has a sinful nature. But so many people say that humanity is good fundamentally at its core but apparently not and it doesn't take much time to figure that out all you have to do is go talk to somebody for longer than five minutes and when they explain their frustrations to you and how they want to handle their frustrations how what things anger them 
how they want to solve those issues. It's usually, it's usually out of anger. It's usually out of violence. If they could just have their way, then everything would be okay. But even that's kind of selfish. It's almost like at their core, they are sinful. Imagine that. So scrolling through Facebook today, I came across a status from one of my former students, actually. She said, if guns don't kill people, then abortions don't kill people either. Hmm. I wasn't aware that abortions and guns were the same thing. Are they the same thing? No? My wife is in here while I'm recording this, and I'm asking her. She's shaking her head no. She don't want to be involved again. No, that's all right. That's all right. No, um, um, the abortion argument is not the same. <laughs> it's not the same as the gun argument. I don't mean to poke fun, really, or to, to undermine the individual. It, it, it's really that the argument itself is faulty. It just simply doesn't work. So guns are designed to protect people. They're designed for defense. Although they can be offensive items, they are fundamentally defensive items, at least when used properly. Abortion is not defensive, <laughs> so they are not the same thing. Um, in fact, uh, it, it, the easiest way to say this is it's like comparing apples to oranges, which is exactly uh, what the first commenter said on that status. Uh, apples and oranges. There's a whole list of responses. If you're uh, friends with me on Facebook, then you, you've you've probably seen where I, I screenshotted the status and some of the replies and, and posted that as its own picture. And, boy, it's very sad. Um, first, let's talk about abortion. Why are we talking about abortion on a youth podcast? Uh, because abortion is in our face constantly and because it's a very real thing. And uh, it, it's extremely beneficial for us as the church to not just shove something away simply because it makes us uncomfortable. So let's talk about it. Abortion is nothing less than and nothing more than the murder of a baby. Now, this status was written to try to debunk pro-lifers. Now, if, if you're a born-again Christian, if you have been saved and you count yourself as one of the saints, as the Bible would count you, then you should be pro-life. <laughs> There's no argument about that. Uh, you would recognize that all human life, no matter how sinful, has been made in the image of God and therefore has equal value simply because and only because they are made in the image of God. And so therefore, no matter how old the human being no matter how much they contribute to society or how little they contribute to society, no matter how much they rely on somebody else for their well-being or how independent they are, they are still all made in the image of God and therefore have value, equal value. Not because it's intrinsic within us, not because we have done something ourselves to gain that value, not because we ourselves are valuable, but because God has created us in his image, and therefore, by definition, he gives us value. So, abortion, not a fun topic to talk about, but it's definitely necessary. Um, there are, on average, at least 
a million babies aborted every single year just in the United States alone. At least since uh, Roe versus Wade, which was, I don't even remember when. I don't know what year that was. It's been a minute. Um, but at least 60 million people, uh, yeah, 60 million people, babies, have been murdered, quote unquote, legally. So, back to the status of guns don't kill people then abortions don't kill people either. So this is kind of playing on the um, um, spoons make you fat. Right? Have you ever heard that? That that the food doesn't make you fat, it's the spoon, because the spoon delivers the food to you? I'm not fat because I eat a lot, it's I'm fat because of the implement that I use. It's, It's literally the same dumb argument that... People aren't killing people. Guns kill people. Therefore, we should get rid of guns. Because you remember, people are intrinsically good, right? At, at, they're inherently good. There's nothing wrong with humanity. It's not that people kill people. It's that guns kill people. So therefore, should we, we should get rid of guns. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that <clears throat> I'm pro-gun or anti-gun or anything. And I'm not trying to argue that the Bible is pro or anti-gun. That's not the point here. The point is to show you how the argument itself fundamentally is flawed. Um, Because you don't have to be anti-gun or pro-gun to recognize that it's not the gun that kills somebody. The gun is a tool. The gun is a tool that is used to commit murder. Because if the gun wasn't there, the person is going to kill the other guy anyway. It just so happens that the gun is more convenient. So if you take away the tool, if you take away the implement, the person's still going to commit murder. And if you go back to um, go back to that passage in Matthew chapter 15, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. Uh, Jesus is telling us that our sins originate in the heart. You don't have to literally, physically kill someone in order to be guilty of murder. Because the anger that you have in your heart, the desire that you have to follow through with that action is enough to condemn you. So it's it's not it's not the gun that kills somebody. I mean, we're talking on a grander scale, on a, on a cosmic scale. Uh, it's not the gun that kills people. Although, yeah, that person would not have died had a bullet not gone through them. But... Then again, what if there was no gun? Well, then you would just have a knife, right? You'd have some sort of tool, some other tool, some other implement used by the murderer to take out their victim. Because it's not about the gun. It's about what the, it's about what the murderer wants. It's about what the, the perp, the suspect, wants. And what they want is the other person dead. So the, the if guns don't kill people argument is, is silly. That, that that it's just it doesn't make any sense especially when you can when you compare it to abortions um if guns don't kill people then abortions don't kill people either which is really interesting uh that that this person said that because later on they said it's not a human until it gets all of the vital signs of being one and being alive the abortion is performed before the baby has the ability to feel hmm it's not a termination of potential life, not life itself yet, but both 
don't kill people considering that little clumps of cells isn't considered a baby until the third trimester. I would imagine that this person would, would consider that a clump of cells is a clump of cells that is living. This is probably someone who would argue that life started as a single-celled organism, and if life can start as a single-celled organism, then that's alive, right? I mean, using their own definitions, using their own arguments, you can put their arguments down. Because if, because if you believe in evolution, and you say that life originated however many millions of years ago, and yet babies in the womb are not technically alive, then, then what is it? Because, it, because if a single-celled bacteria is alive, if it's a living cell, then surely four human cells would be alive, right? It just simply doesn't make any sense. It's a terrible argument. Um, there were a couple of other comments that were on that status, and uh, I really appreciate the people who see those kinds of statuses and make comments um, trying to put that down. We should never really ignore it. And of course, if you're going to address that sort of thing, you should you should do it in a kind manner um, with the hope that that person is going to come to an understanding that uh, human life is valuable sim- simply because we are made in the image of God. And I, I really hope that that person does eventually turn around because um, it's very troubling, especially because that that person was a former student of mine. And so that's <laughs> that's uh, that's it's just a really weird feeling to see that somebody like that um is is so very backwards in their thinking. It's it's very troublesome. Um, <clears throat> so uh, last week was our first week in uh, our study of the Book of Ruth. Yeah, what a there was no segue there. It just went from guns and abortion to the Book of Ruth. It just bam bam one right after the other. I don't I don't do segues. So um, we are in the Book of Ruth, and we're going to continue our lesson this week. We're still in chapter one, and if you'll recall, in uh, the first five verses of Ruth. It really set the scene for the entire book of Ruth. Elimelech and his wife, Naomi, and their two sons, Malan and Killian, uh, th- there was a famine in the land, and of course Elimelech took his family out of the promised land and into the country of Moab. And Moab was known for their uh, all of their devious little sins, more specifically their sexual immorality, and of course um, after... Elimelech and his family get over into Moab. What happens? Elimelech dies, leaving Naomi behind with her two sons. And that's it. Well, for about ten years, anyway. And uh, then Malan and Killian, they get married to Orpah and Ruth. And then Malan and Killian die. And if you know anything about the uh, Jews and their laws, they needed a man... Uh oh, sexism inbound. Oh no, the patriarchy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there was no man to provide children for them. They were left childless. It's just Naomi, a Jew, and two Moabites. Two Moabitess women. What would a Jew have anything to do with Moabites? Nothing, if they had their way. They wanted nothing to do with each other. And there is Naomi, stuck 
with two people she would have absolutely nothing to do with if it were up to her. And so that's kind of where we find ourselves uh, this week. Uh, we're going to start in Ruth chapter 1, verse 6, and uh, go to, go to uh, 18. So Ruth chapter 1, verse 6 to 18. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. This is Naomi. For Naomi had heard in the country of Moab that, that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return to your mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept, and they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say, I, I have hope. If I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you, or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. So if you recall, Naomi's name means pleasant, right? Uh, she's supposed to be living up to her name. She's not doing a very good job right now, uh, and and it's it's kind of uh, with with good reason, um, at least to some extent. Naomi has lost a lot. She is moved out of her home. Her husband's dead. Her two sons are gone, and there are no children left behind. It is just her. But you say, well, she's got Ruth and Orpah with her. They they can keep her company, right? Well, except that. Uh, Remember, they're Moabites. They're not supposed to be mixing with the Jews, and the Jews are not supposed to be mixing with them. They're not really supposed to have anything to do with each other. And here we are, stuck in Moab, and all of Naomi's family is gone. Naomi's not having a great time. So anyway, she hears about food returning to the land. Bethlehem was the city they were from, and Bethlehem actually means house of bread. And if you recall in the first five verses of chapter 1, there was a famine in the land. Bethlehem, the house of bread, had no bread. It was empty, and it was not serving the purpose that it was designed to serve. And so Elimelech and Naomi, they leave. And then in verse 6, Naomi hears that food has returned. The Lord has visited his people by giving them bread. It was a sign of God's return to his people. Apparently, in verse 6 there. So Naomi gets the idea that she needs to leave. It's time for her to go home. It's time for her to go back to some level of normalcy and leave all of this tragedy behind. 
So in verse 7, therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Now here's the thing. Yeah, they went with her, but Naomi did not want them to. And you can see that in verse 8. She says to her daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you've dealt with the dead and with me. So in other words, Orpah and Ruth have actually been fairly helpful to Naomi as we see that uh, um, because Naomi says that you know you've dealt you've dealt very kindly with me you've dealt very kindly with um, Malan and Killian and uh, you know what just just go back home we see that Naomi does recognize that there was some uh, some degree of helpfulness some degree of loyalty from these two ladies um, but Naomi still you know what, if, if she can get out of this, if she can go back home and not have to worry about any of this mess ever again, that's what she's going to do. So she tells Orpah and Ruth to go home. Let's just return back to our, our normal lives. So there's a bit of an exchange here, and and Orpa and Ruth they say no, we're not we're not gonna we're not gonna go home. We're we're gonna stay with you. And Naomi says, all right, look, you need to turn back. Why would you even go with me? Is it possible for even for me to even be pregnant again and even uh, bear another son? Are you even going to wait long enough for that son to grow up, uh, to be old enough for you to marry and then have kids with? You're not going to do that. You need to just go and enjoy your life. Go back home. Don't wait for me. Don't wait for anybody else. Just go. So Orpa, she's like, all right, I'm out of here. That that's all she needed was one more, one more, uh, one more attempt from Naomi to tell her to go home. So Orpah leaves, and of course, in uh, in verse in verse nine and fourteen, you say they li- you see that they, it says then they lifted up their voices and wept again. This is this is not like this is not like uh, oh this is super easy for Naomi to just turn around and leave them alone and this is not super easy for Orpah to just go ahead and and uh, beat feet out of there uh, this is this is extremely difficult for them you have to remember that they've spent 10 years of their lives together now if you're in my youth group you know um, most of you are are uh, well all of you are just over 10 years old uh, you're you're within five years after after being 10 years old and and so for you guys 10 years um doesn't really seem like a long time you you probably don't remember much from before you were five years old i don't think anybody listening to this was going to remember much from before they were five years old and and so so you you try to you try to conceptualize you try to imagine what 10 years is like 10 years man a lot can happen in just one year but you've got to consider that these these three ladies were with each other for ten straight years, and they experienced all sorts of things together. They worked together. They probably, uh, to some degree, lived together. Uh, Naomi's two sons married these two ladies, and so there was communion with them. There was um, there was family there and and so much so that uh, Orpah and Ruth as Naomi has already said you know they dealt kindly with Naomi they they've they've experienced life together they they have exchanged um 
there's a friendship there. There is a deep relationship between all three of these ladies. But Naomi still sees that this is maybe her way out so she can return to some level of normalcy that she had before. And so Orpah, she, she decides, you know what, this, that's, you're right, Naomi, I, I'm going back. So there's this wailing, there's this crying, this, this intense mourning. They lift up their voices and wept again. This is, this is a loud cry. If, if you've ever been really, truly, tragically upset, you know what it's like to cry this hard. So Orpah decides to go back home, and Naomi turns her attention to Ruth and says, Look, your sister-in-law went back to her people. Why don't you go back? And Ruth says, Entreat me not to leave you, verse 16, or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I'm going. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Now this this couple of verses here, verse 16 and 17, they're actually very commonly used in wedding vows. But Ruth says here, I, I'm not going anywhere. Naomi, you are alone, and you have nobody. You have no sons to take care of you. You have no husband to take care of you. There's probably, Ruth and Orpah, probably in the 10 years that they lived with Elimelech's family, probably learned quite a bit of the cultural differences between the Jews and the Moabites. And so they probably understood the normal laws that Elimelech's family would have followed at the death of Elimelech and the two sons. And we'll get into more of that later, but Ruth has decided to pledge her loyalty to Naomi. And we'll we'll get um we'll see a lot more of this relationship between Ruth and Naomi develop as the chapters go on. But this is the first substantial thing that Ruth says to Naomi. And it's really going to set uh, more of the tone of who Ruth is for the rest of this book. Ruth is a person of loyalty. She is a person of dedication. She is motivated to go wherever Naomi goes and live where she lives. She is willing to leave all of her Moabite lifestyle, all of her Moabite culture behind so that she can be with Naomi and experience Naomi's God. That's that's pretty astounding. There must have been something in particular that Ruth saw about Naomi and Elimelech's family that has made Naomi so intrigued, so much more curious than she was before, to leave behind her entire life and go with Naomi back to Bethlehem. And of course, we see in verse 18... When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped talking to her. (laughs) You ever just, you've had an argument with somebody and you have done everything you possibly can to convince them otherwise, trying to change their opinion or trying to change their mind about something, and yet they are stubborn and they don't move at all? So what do you do? Sometimes we just give up. You know what? There's no point in carrying on this conversation. There's no point in trying to persuade you otherwise. Your mind is made up. I'm done. Let's just not talk about it. So Ruth, I mean uh, Naomi, 
sees that Ruth is de- is determined to go with her, so she stops talking to her. So what we're going to do in the next episode, in the next lesson, is we're going to see what happens after this when Ruth and Naomi make their way back to Bethlehem, and we will finish up chapter 1 next week. I hope that you've enjoyed this uh, so far we are uh, still, you know, we're only about halfway through chapter one, and uh, we're not really going through each verse, but we are going through entire passages, entire sections at a time. And so uh, I want to help you understand exactly what is happening between all of these people here in this story. And uh, I think it's going to be very beneficial when we get to the end of Ruth and, and you see how this story unfolds and how everything ends up. I think it's going to be very, very, very beneficial for you, not just to understand the history of Bethlehem, not just to understand the um, cultural aspects of what these people are going through, maybe not even just to understand the emotional aspects of what these people are going through, but to see the bigger picture here. Because what we see so far is people who have experienced loss. We see people who have experienced tragedy. There is sorrow. There's even sin. uh, There's death. There is just all kinds of not great things that are happening here. And you've probably experienced some unpleasant things as well and always questioned, you know, why am I going through this? What in the what is the purpose of this? I, I, I personally have experienced uh, some very difficult times, uh, even extremely recently. And, you know, the question always comes up, and I guess it's just our human nature, but we always question, why am I going through this? Why do I have to be a part of this? We're going to see in this book that there's going to be a purpose for it even if you don't see it right away. So, stay with us. Um, I hope that uh, that you are reading uh, the Bible alongside uh, the, these lessons, but I also hope you're reading outside of these lessons. It should always be something that you're doing every day, especially if you're going to call yourself a believer. You know, if you call yourself a child of God, God's written you this book then of course we should be reading it, right? We should, we, even if we don't understand it, don't let it intimidate you. There's going to be lots of things you don't understand. Um, there's lots of things that even uh, uh, Bible scholars who have done nothing but study the Bible their whole life, that's their career, that's their profession, even they don't understand everything. We're not going to, but that's not the point. The point is to be obedient to the Word of God, to read, to study, to know it, and to apply it to our lives uh, to the glory of God. So, Anyway, until next week, I hope that all of you are safe. I hope that all of you are having a good time and enjoying this break from school and uh, whatever else it is that you may be having a break from. And until next week, be safe and God bless.